She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode 16, Covenant. This episode was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and originally aired on Friday, March 21st, 1997 at 9 p.m. And we haven't done a Millennium episode for a while, and neither has Millennium. Because between this episode and the previous one, Sacrament, Fox aired the following on February 28th, a repeat of Blood Relatives, on March 7th, a repeat of Wide Open, and then on March 14th, they aired a repeat of a special that was called When Disaster Strikes, which had originally aired on Monday, October 28th in 1996. So That sounds really familiar. I feel like I probably watched it at least one of the times Fox aired it. Probably. Yeah, it's works they aired it on Monday originally, but then this would be Friday when they re aired mm-hmm. the repeat. So in this episode, Frank is asked to provide evidence to put someone to death, but he isn't sure if the man is even the killer. <gasps> Ooh, that's Ooh. a tough position to be in. This episode was written by Robert Moresco and directed by Roderick J. Preeti. Ooh, Preeti? I don't know who any of those people are. Yeah. Yeah. Ogden, Utah, Saturday, 6.27 p.m. We see a sheriff's car parked outside a house on a residential street. Inside the garage, a man, William Gary, is doing some woodworking, making what appears to be a table leg on a lathe. A truck pulls into the garage, and a woman, Dolores Gary, and three kids get out. The kids say hi to their dad and run past, and the older son and the wife pull out groceries. William asks how Gabe is, and his wife says they couldn't get him into the doctor. So she bought some cough syrup. Their exchange is super awkward. And then he goes back to his woodwork and she leaves and goes into the house. The older son stops and is like, dad, you should come to dinner because she says she got some food for dinner. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to skip dinner. And then he tells his son to go inside. And after his son goes in, he stabs his chisel into a slab of wood. Ooh, (sighs) yeah. Hmm. Then it's 9.17 p.m. And we see the older son grab a cookie from the cookie jar, and then he's getting some milk out of the fridge, and then he goes downstairs. Which their kitchen is upstairs. Yes, that's weird. Anyway, I just I thought that. it was like a basement, but like there's a bedroom down there too. But there are a lot of houses where. Oh, like, you know what? It is the basement. I th- you're right. I think he was probably yeah. coming to see his dad. So. Well, because there's I know one of the kids has a bedroom down in the basement too, which definitely well, and they happens. talk a lot. Spoiler that the bodies were in the basement. Mm-hmm. yeah so but okay, there are so houses funny. with like a daylight basement where like the main floor is you know the kitchen living room maybe a bedroom and then all the bedrooms are downstairs and stuff too that's yeah because also... the garage was downstairs so that's probably it's probably the garage right and so like the garage was downstairs and then yeah who knows anyway the kid stands on the stairs as someone approaches and the person approaching the kid sees them like surrounded in light like a little like light halo kind of thing and the boy is like, what are you doing? And then it's 10, 15 p.m. And there's a phone in the sheriff's office and Deputy Kevin Riley answers. And it's kind of quiet. And then in the downstairs area we saw before, which may be the garage or the basement or something, there are a bunch of body-shaped bundles. And William Gary is all bloody and he's on the phone. And he says, I did it. 
They're dead. All dead. Let us see. And then we come back. And we get the epigraph. Thou dost frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. Job 7.14. So, only three versions seem to use the dost. The Jubilee Bible 2000, which is the J-U-B. The Revised Standard Version, which is the R-S-V. And the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, which is the R-S-V-C-E. All three include an extra word and use scare rather than frighten. And with instead of by. It reads, then thou dost scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. All are partial sentences. The complete sentence would be Job 7, 13 through 15. When I say, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then thou dost scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. The Jubilee version kind of mixes up a little bit at the end, making that part of separate sentence so it's job 13 14 and then job 15 a separate sentence and that is and my soul thought it better to be strangled and desired more than my bones and desired is italicized for some reason and i have no idea why and then for you king james version people we get when i say my bed shall comfort me my couch shall ease my complaints then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. And that's the end of Bible Corner with Nick. Then it's Sunday morning, six months later. At the Yellow House, Frank kisses a sleeping Jordan. Meanwhile, Nick's favorite person, <laughs> Jack, Jack Meredith, is home across the street and he has the news on in his kitchen. He's got like a little TV. And they're reporting on the death penalty trial of William Gary, who's accused of murdering his wife and three kids. The news says prosecutor Calvin Smith has called in a former FBI agent to give a psychological profile of the defendant. And then Jack sees Frank loading up the back of his Jeep across the street. Because he's a busybody and always looking outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder which former FBI agent they called. Uh, I don't hmm. know. And also, just um, so people don't think things are weird, uh, I lost Tori in that beginning part, which is why I just kept going for a while. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I wasn't saying anything because I my mic wasn't working apparently. So whoops. Yeah, so um, it's been it. doing that lately. It's been cutting out. I have like a blue yeti, but it's like from 2008 or something. It's like the first blue yeti that I know of. Like when they were, I don't know. It's very old and it's been jostled around and moved and now moved across several states. So I don't know. Maybe it's time to replace it. We'll see. Yeah. So you know the show must go on. I just kept going. <laughs> Then we're at the office of the prosecutor in Weber County, Utah, and it's Monday at 9.18 a.m. Calvin Smith introduces Frank Black to assistant prosecutor Charlie and Dee Dee Higgins, the assistant pathologist. Frank walks over to a corkboard where photos of the Gary family are hanging. Calvin tells Frank that if the jury doesn't believe it was a cold, calculated, premeditated murder, they won't vote for capital punishment, which is what they want. They want to make sure some appeals court down the line doesn't free Gary to do the same thing to some other family. Dee Dee shows him the skew chisel that Gary's fingerprints were found on. Calvin says, one minute the boy's smiling up at his father, the next he's got that in his heart. The wife apparently heard a noise and came down surprising him, so he stabbed her in the heart four times. 
The daughter, Mary, was asleep in her room in the basement and had eight puncture wounds to the chest area. Gary then went up to the youngest son, Gabe's room, and killed him, too. He wrapped the bodies and laid them side by side and then sat on the basement steps before calling it in. Ooh. Which is very similar to kind of John List, who did not call in his own murder. He just left and tried to live his life until he was caught, like, years later. But, yeah, wrapping them all and, like, lining them up and stuff. Hmm. One of the most famous family annihilators. Frank asks if anyone saw this coming. Calvin says everyone knew they were having trouble, but no one knew the extent of the problem. And he means, like, marital trouble and stuff. They were fighting and having problems. Frank says he'll need court transcripts and forensic reports. He also wants to speak with William Gary. Calvin says his attorney won't consent to him interrogating him, but there's a tape of his confession on the table. He tells Frank to be ready by Wednesday. He wants William Gary to pay for what he did. Hmm. Yeah, he's all about, like, making sure this dude gets the death penalty. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. his only goal in life. Yeah. So in the Gary's garage, there is a sign hanging above the tools that read, if a man fails at home, he fails in life. And we can probably assume that he probably made that himself because it's made out of wood and he's a woodworker. Mm -hmm. So Frank walks in, he stares up at it, and then he's looking around the woodworking bench and he kind of turns on the lathe for a while and he's looking at all the tools. Like every, It's been six months and all this shit is just untouched, which I think is weird, but maybe that's what happens when you own a house. I don't know. I'm a renter, so my, my shit would be shut out on the street if I died. But anyway. I mean, it would depend a lot on like who inherited the house, what the mortgage situation is, all that stuff. But if it's a crime scene too, it might be being held in perpetuity while they mm. run the trial or something. I don't yeah, know. We have Not only do we have French knowledge on this podcast, we have real estate knowledge. That's why. Well, because <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just depends. As long as I can imagine that even if the mortgage wasn't getting paid, like if it was a crime scene, possibly they would work something out with the bank so that it wasn't getting like foreclosed on and sold out from under them. Mm. Um, or possibly a relative inherited it or, you know, will and I guess William still owns it. So I guess as long as the mortgage is getting paid, it'd be fine because mm. he's like, still alive. paid out of his bank account and there's enough money in the bank maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, because like no one would inherit it because he's still alive. So, yeah, I guess it's still his. So, yeah, oh, it makes sense. so they're waiting until he. Yeah. But if he stays in prison the rest of his life, that's. Weird. Yeah. At that point, he'd probably have to sell it. And he'd have to, you know, you know, work with someone yeah. to sell it for him. Weird. Yeah. Things mm -hmm. you don't really think about when that kind of stuff happens. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So then Deputy Riley appears and he is there to let Frank inside the house. So apparently the garage was just like free access. Frank just came in, but <laughs> he needed help to get in the house, I guess. So, yeah. Weird. The house looks normal and there's family photos on the wall. And then in the kitchen, Frank is in there and he pulls out a photo of the window above the sink because he's got like photos of the crime scene so he's matching them up to you know the place he's looking at and in the window in the photo not in real life because it's since been cleaned a number was written in blood one two eight one five and he asked riley what they made of it and riley says no one figured out what it meant william says he remembers writing it but not why and then frank plays the confession while he looks around the house so mm -hmm. on the tape William says he came in from working in the garage and he was tired. William Jr. came down the stairs. At first, he thought he was smacking him until he realized he had the chisel in his hand. 
So I guess he just like smacks his kid when he comes down the stairs for some reason. And then was like, oh, crap, I had a tool in my hand. The kid's dead. There was blood all over him, and his son was dead. Frank opens the medicine cabinet and finds a receipt from a pharmacy. And then William continues on the tape that then his wife came downstairs, and there was no stopping now. After he finished with his wife, he went into his daughter room and killed her. And apparently she was awake, but she didn't fight, so he appreciated that. And then he went upstairs and killed Gabe, who didn't wake up before the murder. And then Frank is standing in Gabe's room, and there's blood on the bed. And he picks up a stuffed elephant on the floor that looks a little bit like it might have some blood on it, too. And on the tape, William says, once you start something like this, you somehow have to finish. So that's cool. So Deputy Riley is driving Frank, and Frank asks him how long he's known Gary. Riley says about 12 years. He respected William more than any man he's ever known. Then Frank asks about Mrs. Gary, and Riley says he was close to the whole family. So Frank asks why he thinks William did it. And Riley says, to be honest, I don't think about it. Which, I mean, honestly, if someone I knew murdered their whole family, that's all I would think about. Like, pretty much all the time. (laughs) I'd be working that over in my head. I wouldn't be able to stop. Yeah, and this is also where we get the confirmation of why there was a sheriff's vehicle outside the house. Because William Gary was sheriff. Yes. Or at least part of the sheriff's department. So... Then Frank lays out photos of the crime scene on his hotel bed. The phone rings and it's Jordan who's with Catherine. She says she's calling to say goodnight and it's super cute. It's really adorable. Goodnight, daddy. Then Catherine, <laughs> I know, it's, she's so cute. Then Catherine takes the phone and is like, how did it go today? And Frank says he finished reading William's confession, but he thinks the confession is strange. Most murder confessions have half-wise, misremembered pieces, And they attempt to minimize the brutality. None of that is in William's confession. He's accounted for everything. Catherine points out that he was a cop, so he knows how confessions and crime scenes work. But Frank still finds it strange. So all those truths add up to a lie, Catherine asks? Frank doesn't know. Then they say they love each other and they hang up. Frank looks at the photos again. He circles the kitchen floor and the number on the kitchen window and then has a flash of William Jr.'s face. <gasps> and he's all glowy because that's how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's commercial. So then Frank meets Michael Slatterly, William Gary's lawyer at a diner, which has a scotch and whiskey special going on, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Frank tells him that he's not there to condemn his client. His job is just to deliver a behavioral profile and asks about William. Slatterly says that he said two words to him in about four months. I'm guilty. Frank asks why Slatterly didn't try to plead the temporary insanity defense. And Slatterly says that William wouldn't let him. He wants to die. He needs to die. His religion requires forgiveness by God, which involves his blood being shed. Utah's death penalty by firing squad conveniently meets that qualification. Frank asks if William has any history of violence, and Slatterly says that he was an Eagle Scout but he confessed that the facts support his confession. All Slatterly can do for him is to fight to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. He asks Frank if he is for or against the death penalty. And as he's doing that, Frank notices that Riley is in the diner watching them. And Slatterly continues, and he's like, way I figured, if you're for killing people, 
then you're for the death penalty. And if you're against killing people, then you're against it. <laughs> and like poor William wants to die and he's got the only person in town who wants to save him as his lawyer. Not that it'll do him any good. Frank asks if he can meet with William and Slatterly is against it. But Frank tries to assure him that he's just trying to paint a picture of the truth. So Slatterly is played by Jay Underwood, which is a really familiar name. And he has a really familiar face. He looked hella familiar. But has been the case with some of our recent X-Files episodes, I got nothing. Like, I looked at his stuff, and I don't recognize anything. <laughs> so, he will appear in a Season 8 episode of the X-Files, though. And oh, cool. he also played Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four. Oh. And you're like, wait a minute. That was the 1994 version directed by Roger Corman. But I've never seen it. So, yeah, I don't think I have either. Not the one you're thinking of, or the ones you're thinking of. Because it was either Chris Evans, or it was... Uh, I can't remember his name. He's the guy who played Killmonger in Black Panther. So, oh, Michael Jordan. Is it B. Michael Jordan? Yeah. I know Michael Jordan's part of it because there's an initial so that you don't think he's Michael Jordan, the basketball player. I think it's Michael B. Jordan. I think so. Michael I'm B. not Jordan. sure. Yes. I apologize. So, yeah. But yeah, this is the 1994 version, which apparently was not supposed to ever have been released. They just needed to make the movie to keep the copyright before they sold it. So, not either way, it didn't work out. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So back at the prosecutor's office, Calvin introduces Frank to Mr. and Mrs. Anderson. They're Dolores Gary's parents. Miss Anderson cries, saying she's been having nightmares of their murders. They both want William Gary to pay the ultimate price for what he did. After they leave, Frank asks Calvin if he arranged that for his benefit. Calvin says he's a little concerned about Frank. Frank tells him that he's meeting Dee Dee Higgins at the crime scene this afternoon. Calvin's like, the trial's over. What he needs is a profile that will get William the death penalty. And this is where we also learn that Slattery did, in fact, give Frank permission to interview William. Yeah, Calvin's like, Frank, you seemed a little interested in, like, justice and the truth. We can't have any of that. You gotta kill this <laughs> That's guy. not what we're here for. We're here to execute this guy we're here to clear this case <laughs> gotta close it boom yeah yeah <sighs> yeah our legal system is fucked up anyway so frank is meeting with william gary and william tells him there was no pain after the murders just a dullness and the need to finish it Frank asks if he felt anything else during the kills. Just rage, William says, but he says it without any emotion. <laughs> Frank asks how he feels about it now, and he says, I feel sorry. Frank asks him why he didn't let his lawyer plead temporary insanity, and William says he wasn't insane. He was just angry. He'd let things build up, and he was full of rage. That's his secret, Cap. But now he takes responsibility for what he's done. Frank asks why he did it. William says he thought about it for a long time, fantasized about it. He asks if Frank has a wife and family. Frank nods. William's like, well, then you know what I'm talking about. But Frank is like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. After a pause, he mentions that he had money problems and he and his wife came to hate each other. He felt like wiping his family out was the only way. Frank shows him a little sculpture he found in the garage that was signed Love Bill on the bottom. Because we saw him looking at that when he was in the garage. And we find out that it was actually Dolores Gary's birthday the next day after they were murdered. 
and Frank asked him how he could make a gift for her with his own hands and then use those same hands to slaughter his whole family. William says the gift was a lie. So Frank slides the wooden angel towards William and then gets up and leaves the interrogation room. And he talks to Slatterly, who was watching from behind the two-way mirror. Frank says William claims he felt rage, but the staging of the bodies indicates the killer was calm. <laughs> in case you're wondering, there was like a sheriff deputy in the room with them. So like he didn't just leave like a possible killer with like a wood thing that he could possibly use as a weapon in the room. So, yeah. <laughs> so at the house, Frank talks to Dee Dee about an inconsistency in William's confession. He claims he killed Gabe upstairs and carried him downstairs wrapped in a sheet. But there are fibers on the sheet that indicate the body may have been dragged down the stairs. And then Frank has another flash of William Jr. standing on the stairs asking, what are you doing? There were other inconsistencies. He asked that the cuts on Dolores Gary's palm and fingers were defensive. Dee Dee says that's how they were described. She didn't examine them herself. She was the assistant. Miss Gary's body had urine on it from when she died, but there was none on the carpet where her body was found. And William wrote those numbers on the window, which means he walked into the kitchen covered in blood after he killed his family, but left no blood anywhere else, not even footprints. <gasps> Frank bends down and lifts the corner of the rug on the kitchen floor. He tells Dee Dee he believes that they analyze the rug, they'll find it was shampooed, and they'll find traces of urine. He believes Dolores died there in the kitchen. Dee Dee's asking if he's saying that someone tampered with the evidence. Frank is suggesting someone else committed the murders. <gasps> and as they leave the house, we see Riley is watching them from across the street. Uh-oh. Commercial. Yeah. Also, you... Ooh, I mean, I know that's true, but like just the idea of like I shampooed the rug, but there's still pee on it. That's great. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> well, traces. There's traces. I know, there, but yeah. still, you're like it's clean. It's clean. It's clean. It's clean. It's clean. Damn it. Anyway, mm -hmm. I mean, Frank knows his shit. Like psychic visions are not like what makes this episode great is that he's he may be compelled by the visions. Like they may give him like the impetus to move on. But, like, they aren't what salt. Like, he's not, like, getting the answers through his visions. No, so, he's actually like working the case, yeah. yeah. And we know they're not psychic visions, right? Because Chris Carter says they're not, so. Mm, next episode kind of contradicts that, <laughs> so we'll see. Oh, the next episode written by Chris Carter? I don't think so. I don't remember. Maybe, maybe he was on vacation and didn't see it. And was like, God maybe. damn it, you guys. Someone was like, all right, psychic. let's get anyway. to the bottom of this. <laughs> yeah. So Dee Dee Higgins is played by Sarah Koskoff who previously played Teresa Nenman in the pilot episode of The X-Files. Nice. She was the one who had the bloody nose. Mm -hmm. so, and she'll be in two more episodes of The X-Files as well, one in season seven and one in season eight. Nice. Yeah. Detective Kevin Riley is played by Steve Beck. There's, it's B-A-C-I-C, -C, so I'm not sure if those are hard Cs or soft Cs or if one's hard and one's soft. Don't know. So anyway, he's been in two episodes of the X-Files so far and will be in one more. And at least in the X-Files and adjacent universe, he always seems to play cops. He was the second officer in Soft Light. So I think he was the one who got vroomed in the alley when they were trying oh, to get yeah, yeah, yeah. to lube. And then he was Agent Will Collins and Pusher. And I think okay. he was the one who like poured the gas all over himself and caught himself on fire. 
Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. And also I I think he was also the one who was was it the same one who was also possibly driving when they get hit by the truck? Because it seemed like they were the same agent was around a lot. So he may have been the one who was driving, but I'm pretty definitely sure that he was the one who caught himself on fire. Okay. So, and then he'll play a SWAT commander in season five, the uh, French episode. Folly ado. Yeah. So I was close. Anyway, he's still working, but his biggest recurring role was in 45 episodes of Andromeda from 2000, 2005, which was created by Gene Rodberry of Star Trek frame. And unfortunately starred Kevin Sorbo, previously known for being Hercules and now known for being a total dickbag. So, mm -hmm. yep. yeah. Frank meets with Alice Steele, a counselor who tells him she can't get into specifics about why the Garys came to see her. He suggests that William might be innocent. So Alice allows him to ask a specific question. And if she can answer it, she will. Frank asks if Dolores Gary was having an affair with Deputy Riley. Alice says Mrs. Gary was a good wife who was there to talk about a problem that was tearing at the fabric of her soul, which is not helpful in any way. <laughs> That's not informative. No, but then she does say, do not ask me about Mr. Gary. So Yeah. He asks if they talk to her about having another child. She says she can't answer that. Frank pulls out the receipt from the pharmacy from the night of the murder. It shows that she bought a bottle of cough syrup and a home pregnancy test. <gasps> yeah, she's played that sneaky thing. Like, I can't tell you anything, but I'm not going to lie to you if you ask mm -hmm. me a question. So, yeah. Yeah. So then we see William and he's taking a polygraph test. And you all know how we feel about polygraph tests. But anyway, hmm. he's asked if he was at his home on October 5th around 945. And he says, yes. And then he's asked if he knows who killed his family. And he says, yes. And they're like, was that person you? And he's like, yes. And then Frank and Slatterly and others are outside the room listening to the test on an intercom. And then Calvin comes in and he's like, why wasn't I told about this? And Frank is like, I called your office. And he's like, you only called me half an hour ago. That's not good enough. And he's like, whatever you find on this test is inadmissible. The case has been resolved. And Frank's like, that's not important to me. I just want to know the truth. And I want you to know it as well. <laughs> anyway, it's all over. And the test proctor tells Frank that according to the results, William says he killed his family and he's telling the truth. And so he has to see the paper and she gives it to him. And Frank believes that William is suffering from delusions from guilt and depression and may have convinced himself he's responsible for the killings. He says that William says he felt rage because that's what he believed a killer must have been feeling. But Frank says the killer saw the children as angels at the moment of their deaths. Calvin says tomorrow he's going before the judge and requesting the death penalty for William Gary and won't be needing Frank's services anymore. And he leaves because he's pissed off. He's like, hmm, messing my yep. stuff up. I want to kill somebody. God damn it. Anyway, Slatterly's like, how do you know these things? And Frank is like, I want another examination of the bodies. And Didi says, that would be an exclamation, and they'll never go for it. And then Frank tells her that she can ask a judge to order it. So, mm -hmm. so I guess the angel thing is kind of probably from the visions, but we'll talk about that yeah. So I mean, some of this, he does get some information from the divisions yeah. i mean sure. this isn't what resolves things it's just him saying it but yeah yeah as frank and Dee drive he tells her he knows this whole thing has put her in a difficult position she says she's wondering where she'll be working next week i.e she expects to lose her job for doing this but he tells her that her job is to find the truth isn't that what she wants she says yes 
Then something bursts through the windshield of the car. So the car skids in the rain and it stops and both of them are okay. And we learn that a rock was thrown from an overpass and it has the word guilty written on it. Ooh, that's pretty sad. Yeah. That could have killed them. Like, yeah, it absolutely could have. Not that's even just like from the car crash. Like it, if it hit one of them, it would have killed them. Yes. Yeah. No, not a, not a good thing. It fortunately seemed to land between them. Although Frank is kind of like, mm, so he might got hit in the lake or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They arrive at the cemetery where the bodies are being exhumed. The coroner demands to know what kind of judge issues an exhumation order in the middle of the night. And they're like, a federal one. And Frank shows him the order. The coroner insists the bodies have already been examined, but Frank tells him if he has a problem, Dee Dee can do the second autopsies. So he kind of is like, oh, I'm not letting the assistant do it. So he agrees to do it. And then he tells the crew to keep digging up the bodies like they were stopping. They weren't. So. Yeah, they're already doing it. He's yeah. pretending to have. I'm in charge here. Yeah, keep exactly. Doing what you were already doing that I didn't like because I can't stop it. Yeah. So pretty much. Having mentioned the pilot episode of X-Files earlier, this is an interesting parallel because the same thing kind of happens in the pilot episode, except for not in the middle of the night, right? Remember? Because they're they're digging up the bodies and the coroner comes out like, hey, I did this already. Why are you doing that? And the assistant coroner is like, well, the FBI doesn't want to do it. They need to find stuff out. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It is and an actually, she parallel. plays the coroner's daughter in that episode. She does. <laughs> so that is really funny. That is yeah. a funny coincidence. Yeah. So at the coroner's office, they're examining the body of Dolores Gary, and Frank points out the slices on the hand are sliced at an angle, not punctures. And the coroner concedes that they must have missed this, and they may not be defensive wounds. So he's not being a total dick. He's like, shit, I did a bad job. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> Frank pulls the sheet off Mary's body, which is the daughter, and he has a flash of her sleeping in bed. And all these kids who were killed in Millennium, the little girls always seem to bear a striking resemblance to Jordan. I know. Um, I just I have know. to say. So, like, you don't need to. Like, he can feel empathy for, like, dead kids without it looking like his daughter. Anyway, Frank turns to Dee, Dee and says he knows what happened. <gasps> so then we're back in the interrogation room with William Gary. And Frank puts lines on the top of the one in the photo in the kitchen window and says it's not a one. It's an I. So he basically turns into a capital I. You know, he puts the bar on the top and the bar on the bottom. For Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 15. And then he opens the Bible to a page he has marked, and he recites, I've made a covenant with death. We have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. Frank says he knows what the lies were. William isn't the person who committed these crimes. <gasps> oh. Now we're back to Bible Corner with Nick. Yay! So Frank summarized a little bit. For the sake of brevity, we'll just go with the King James Version. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lives our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. And then actually continues into Isaiah 28.16 for a complete sentence, because it actually stops with a colon. Therefore... Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. God talks like Mojo Jojo, honestly. Anyway, <laughs> that he believeth shall not make haste. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So William Gary asks Frank why he's there. What does he want? Frank slides a folder across the table. 
he tells William that his wife was pregnant. Then he asks if he knew, and William says he did, but Frank says no, he didn't. Frank is going to go to the judge with the truth, but if William doesn't recant his confession, it won't be enough. The jury will sentence him to death, and if that happens, he won't be paying for his sins. He'll be committing suicide. (gasps) Frank quotes 1 Corinthians 6.19, and William quotes Numbers 35.21 and says, The murderer who deliberately kills shall die. Exactly, Frank says. He gets up and starts to leave. William tells him that he's the only one who knows what happened that night, and his blood must be shed at the time of his death. To rob him of that salvation is to send him to eternal damnation. Frank tells him he can't let him die for something he didn't do. Commercial! And Tori caught off guard because I'm the one who put those Bible quotes in there. So, yeah, because I don't know them. To me, they're not. Yeah. Um, it's all no, nonsense. Yeah, because Frank says something and he's basically reciting, well, again, it's very condensed and he's kind of summarizing 1 Corinthians 6.19, which is basically like, God gave you this body and it's not yours to decide what happens to it. Like, mm, you can't, you okay. can't, it's, it's the anti-suicide, you know. Gotcha, verse. gotcha. And then William quotes Numbers 35.21, which is like, those who kill should be killed so basically you know yeah. eye for an eye tooth for, and that's not that part but it's the same idea of like if you're a murderer then you're supposed to die so but frank is like exactly meaning like the murderer maybe did die uh-huh. you. yeah <gasps> yeah Ooh. yeah so we come back from commercial and frank and Dee are in a judge's office along with calvin who looks super unhappy because i think that's just his normal state and frank <laughs> explains about the blood writing on the window and how there was no blood anywhere else They took samples from the kitchen rug and found that it was indeed shampooed. And they also found urine with high levels of estrogen, indicating an adult female. Huh. Mrs. Gary. The judge surmises what they're saying is that the kitchen was clean before the police were called to hide that Mrs. Gary was killed in the kitchen. With, uh, whatever. I was going to make like a clue joke, but I fucked it up, so forget it. Calvin asks what it proves. Even if William moved the body after the murder, it doesn't change anything. Frank says William is not capable of the crimes he's accused of and presents the judge his report. The judge asks if Frank is just delivering a psychological profile. So he's like, is this all you got? Because mm-hmm. you, know, you called us here just to give me this? Uh-huh, yeah. And then Dee Dee stands up and using a ruler, she explains how the cuts on Mrs. Gary's hand happen. So she has it's one of those big, long metal rulers, you know? And she's like, she stabs herself three times in the heart, creating the first slice. And then by the fourth, she was weakened because she'd already stabbed herself three times in the heart and she was dying. And so her hand slid down the blade, causing the slice in her hand. And then Dee Dee opens her own hand. And apparently they were sneaky and used a Sharpie on the edge of the rulers because, or it's just a dirty ass metal ruler that didn't really clean because that's nasty. And she's got marks on her hands that are exactly like the marks on Dolores Gary's hand. So mm-hmm. she stabbed herself. Judge says, are you asking me to believe she stabbed herself in the heart four times? Frank says in her frame of mind, she would have been capable of it. He once had a case where a guy stabbed himself 27 times, three times in the heart, and he lived. So Calvin argues that William Prince were on the murder weapon and the blood of all the victims was on William's clothes. The judge is like, why would a mother kill her children? And Frank says she saw them as angels and wanted to keep them that way. Which is some sexist shit. Because, like, why would a mother murder her children? Oh, why would a father, like, 
I know. Yeah. Although it I mean, is it, true. It that- sounds weird because it's coming from a guy, but still, it's that whole like women are pure and men are, you know, whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. But it is true that family annihilators are almost always men. I know, but still, it's still yeah. sexist. So. But obviously, women do kill their children. Obviously, famously, there's Andrea Yates, who was having a postpartum depression psychotic episode. It was not given the help that she needed, and so she murdered her kids. And Susan Smith, who drowned her kids in a car because she didn't want kids anymore. She was dating some guy, I think. And uh, she claimed a black guy hijacked her vehicle and tried to blame it on this mysterious phantom black man. But then they, they figured it out when they found the car. Those phantom black men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're always causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, we have these gender roles that are like... I know. We have this idea that mothers could never hurt their children, and that's not true. They definitely do. But when it comes to family annihilation, where you kill your spouse and your whole family, like, generally it is men who do that. The assumption is here is that she was in a marriage... We're going to learn some more information here in a little bit about why they were having so much trouble or maybe an additional reason why they were having so much trouble. And so because they are religious, obviously an abortion was not an option. And so she didn't want to have another child with this man. And so decided the only way out was to murder herself and all her children, which is always a cool thing to decide that you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the judge says that nothing presented would convince an appeals court to overturn William's conviction. Because our system sucks. It's true. Like, once you have someone convicted, even if you find evidence that they're not guilty, it is so hard to get convictions overturned. It's absurd. But there are like 12,000 true crime podcasts you can listen to that talk all about that. So we won't go into it here. But it's, yeah, our system is stupid. Yeah. So since that's the case, he's like, what are you asking me to do? And then as Frank explains what's going on, we actually see what happened that night. So Frank is narrating and we see William come in Mm -hmm. and he finds William Jr. at the bottom of the stairs, dead. And he calls for Dolores, but there's no answer. And then he finds Gabe's body wrapped in a bloody sheet in the hallway. And he's still calling for Dolores. And then he finds Mary dead in her bedroom. And then he hears a noise and he goes into the kitchen And he watches Dolores stab herself in the heart the final time, and she dies. Later, Riley sits with Frank. He says that before she died, she told William it was his fault, that he'd made her kill the children, and that was before she stabbed herself the final time. So he walks in while she's doing it, and she just is like, this is all your fault. William called Riley and told him what she'd done and that he had staged the bodies together. William apparently had a one-night affair, hence his guilt. Riley cleaned the kitchen. He missed the windows because the blinds were closed, so he didn't see the blood on them. He says six months ago he broke the law to help William, and now Frank is asking him to betray William. But Frank tells him that the jury is going to come back with the death penalty if he stays silent. He helped him once. If he is his friend, he'll help him again. Then Frank gets in the car with Dee Dee and they drive away. And it's over. Yep. I'm confused because he says the blinds were closed. That's why he didn't see the blood. But then. Oh, I guess he cleaned the blinds too, maybe. Because if there were, you think there would be blood on the blinds because he would have to write it on the window and then close the blinds. 
Yeah. So, I mean, maybe probably, he maybe yeah. He didn't think to, maybe he didn't think to open blinds and look, see if the window was mm-hmm. I mean, why would you, right? So, and I imagine maybe the only thing would be bloody would be the stream. I don't know. Anyway, that, that part's a little like, mm, that might be weird, but yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I kind of knew... I kind of knew pretty much immediately that the wife had done it. <laughs> oh. I feel like it just the minute that like Frank was like, this guy's innocent. I was like, oh, then the wife must have been the one who did it. And so I was like, I wonder how that's going to work out. So you didn't know immediately the guy was innocent. You, but once we learned that he probably is innocent, you figured out what was going on. What yeah. I was like, okay, the wife you. must have been okay. the one who did it. I took it as you knew the minute the episode started. That the oh, yeah. As soon as the episode started, I had it all solved before I knew anything about it. I'm just psyched, oh. like Frank. <laughs> okay we talked a little about utah's execution by firing squad and gary gilmore and the executioner song in our episode the judge millennium episode four tommy lee jones played gary gilmore in that movie based on norman Mayer's book and john finn who plays william gary in this episode he has a little bit of tommy lee jones vibe going on at least to me mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that's coincidence or not you can see that you can listen to more about the whole Gary Gilmore and the Executioner song stuff in The Judge. So I will put links in the show notes for this episode. In 2004, Utah did ban the firing squad, but not the death penalty and not retroactively. So the people on death row in Utah, there were some still scheduled to be killed by firing squad. But then in 2015, they enacted legislation allowing the firing squad again if the drugs used for lethal injection were unavailable which is apparently a thing because drug companies have decided that they are unwilling to have their names associated with the killing of people mm-hmm. so they're not providing the drugs to kill them and so that's one reason aside from appeals and like maybe it's not the best thing to be killing people i don't know i have yeah it probably shouldn't be a state decision but yeah i'm yeah. not pro death penalty in any way so yeah, I don't think that is a thing we should be doing as a government or as a state. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, for the most part, I agree. We, there should not be a death penalty because there's just too many things that you can't be sure about. And so, mm-hmm. you know, better that someone not be killed because you can let someone out of prison. Yeah, you don't want people in prison who shouldn't be there either, but you can let someone out of prison. You can't bring someone back to life. So. Right. If anything, that's like the best reason not to do it. So John Finn, who I mentioned does play William Gary in this episode, he will have a recurring role in five upcoming episodes of the X-Files across seasons four and season six. So we're actually going to get to them really close here because season four is about to wrap up for us. If we ever get back to it, because our schedule's <laughs> a nightmare. Anyway, his biggest role was actually as John Stillman in 156 episodes of Cold Case from 2003 to 2010. Nice. And he also recently played Earl Sutton in 11 episodes of The Walking Dead from 2018 to 2020. Nice. So, yeah, I think he did a good job in this episode. Yeah, he did a great job. And I think I remember him from The Walking Dead. I watched the first couple seasons, but it's he did look really familiar to me. And that actually seems like where I remember seeing him. If I recall incorrectly, he's the guy who owned the farmhouse. But again, I'm talking out of my ass, so I don't that know. That sounds familiar. And also a name like Earl Sutton. You're like, yeah, that dude owns a farmhouse. Yeah, I don't know. I've never that show... seen the series. And I read the comics, but then I stopped partway through. So, I'm mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. It just kind of started to bum me out because like I'm all about zombies. I know you're not. I'm super into zombies, but I get really tired of the whole like man is the real evil and we're all betraying and killing each other constantly instead of like trying to survive together. And The Walking Dead definitely started getting on that path of like everyone they met was like corrupt and trying to murder them and take stuff from them. And I'm just like, you know, maybe that's realistic, but it's depressing as fuck. And yeah. I don't I don't want it. So yeah i mean it, I it's realistic i mean it probably is unfortunately bad, but, but I, I prefer more hopeful stories so yeah. i just was like you know what i'm good i'll watch something else for a while maybe i'll get back to it and then i never did yeah, <laughs> yeah i didn't i never watched it one i don't have amc and then two like like i enjoyed the comics the comics did cause me some issues again because zombies right and even though they're comics yes. they're still yeah. that thought in my head but yeah i could i yeah i couldn't watch the tv show because that would just terrify me yeah they said no like Shaun of the dead gave me nightmares and i love Shaun of the dead yeah Shaun of the uh, dead is hilarious but yeah if that's giving you nightmares you don't want to be watching walking dead because yeah. that won't do you any favors yeah so yeah but yeah i kind of was thinking like oh is he like the farmer guy with the i but yeah so i was kind of thinking the same thing because i'm trying to but i could be wrong and if, if you want to correct me so. feel free if you're a walking dead fan because again it's been years since i've watched the walking dead and i don't really remember it super well yeah, and the farmhouse happens later. I don't remember when Walking Dead started, but he was actually in the show from 2018 and 2020. Yeah, so. I think they get there in season one or two, though, because the the whole like the adaptation is way different from the comics from everything I've heard. I've never read the comics, but everyone. Who yeah, I think them. after a certain point, they kind of just went on their own. Yeah, thing, I think like the so. first few episodes maybe stick really close. And then after that, they just kind of go off the rails and do whatever yeah. it is they're Does doing. Carl ever lose his eye in the show? I think so. I think so. And I think maybe I still was watching it at that point. But again, my memory of it is, I mean, I don't freaking know. I can't, I can barely remember stuff I watched two weeks ago. His mom and his baby, is it a girl or boy? I forget. They get killed, right? I think so. Yeah. Because I think it's just Carl and his dad. Yeah. And then does, uh, does his dad lose his hand at some point? Probably. I don't know. I only okay, that's about where I stopped reading the comics. So, and I don't, I don't know if they even stick that close to the comics for that to happen. Okay. That is about if if you're into the comics, though, that's about where I stopped reading. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) This isn't a podcast about The Walking Dead. It is not. The comics. It's about Millennium. Yeah. And I kind of like this episode. I liked it a lot, too. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was compelling. I thought it was interesting because even once I knew it was probably the wife who had killed everyone, it was still kind of like, okay, but what happened? Why did she kill them and like they do have that weird exchange in the garage in the beginning and there's definitely tension but yeah i think like the pregnancy testing made sense and i thought it was good i thought it all kind of worked together at the end yeah in a way what she did whether intentional or not is she framed him for murder yes and i i don't know how unintentional that was but i guess I don't know I mean, if it was super intentional. She did use because, tools to do it when she could have just used a knife or something. So, yeah, so she might have yeah. been trying to at least cast doubt on him. I don't know if she expected him to just straight up decide that he was going to confess to it so that he could die with his family. But yeah, and pro- possibly protect her, obviously, because he's protecting her reputation. If people think she was murdered by him rather than she killed her kids and then killed yeah. herself, and he has that he has that guilt about the one night stand mm-hmm. thing, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, which apparently she must have found out about, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe she had suspicions. We don't know. We don't get a lot of detail on that part. 
We don't get um, a lot of detail on like no. what must have gone through. I would have loved a little more about like what her exact motives were. I'm guessing it was the stress of a birthday because we learned her birthday is the next day. Uh, she was pregnant with this, you know, and they're already struggling financially, we learned. So they already have three kids. So a fourth mm-hmm. kid is going to put another burden on that. Plus, if they're not getting along, you don't want to have another kid with this guy. And so she's probably like getting along to have another kid in her twisted mind or whatever was like, well, I'll just free my children from this world so we don't have to take care of them anymore. And then I'll, you know, kill myself or whatever. But yeah, so you can put the pieces together, but they don't ever really lay it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they weren't they weren't that. Yeah. um, Hateful to each other if they she got pregnant. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Unless well, who not knows? with him, but we're our understanding is that she's a super faithful woman and wouldn't have done that. So yeah, so we don't know. But yeah, but yeah. So eh, who knows? Yeah, but no, I liked it a lot. I think so. And we talked about this a lot on the side because the last episode we did a long time ago was called Sacrament, and that's the one where Frank's sister-in-law gets kidnapped and all that kind of stuff. And then we knew this next episode was Covenant. And I know there is a two-parter coming up in Millennium. And I thought maybe 15 and 16 were the two-parter, but it's not. It's actually 18 and 19. Because Sacrament mm-hmm. Covenant, you're like, those sound like two-parters. They do. Not. It does. Yeah. Not related at all, except for Frank Black is in both of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's and not Catherine a and Jordan. So I'm going to give this. Let's see. I'm looking, 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 looking. Because I need to get some historical reference. Ooh, I think I'm going to go with an eight. I was thinking maybe nine, but um, end of season spoiler. The only episode I had given a nine was the pilot, and I have since changed that to an eight. So actually, I haven't given any episode a nine. So I think I'm going to give this one an eight, too. You know, yeah, given a lot of eights, but not a nine. <laughs> neither have I, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to give it an eight also, because I feel like that's where Ooh. it falls for me. It's very solid. Wow, so this kind of is a two-parter because we both gave the last one an eight as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, if nothing wow. else, it's continued solid writing. So yay, good for you guys. Yeah. Who and I'm not I don't recognize I didn't do any dive on these two guys, but I think these are both one and dones, both the writer and the director. Oh, maybe, yeah. And I did not look them up. So but I'm pretty sure here scanning the spreadsheet for the three seasons, I don't see their name reappearing. So maybe I'll add something for that for the season ender. I'll look into them because I didn't do it this time. I should have, but I didn't. So trying to get back in the groove, and I'm not doing a super great job on it. But <laughs> you get Bible well, Corner. We've been doing a lot of stuff. So at least yeah. we got that, right? I'm sure that's hey. a fan favorite, Bible Corner with Nick. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 That's Covenant. Yep. I, I want, want to rewatch. rewatch is hosted. <laughs> I, it's my turn to do it. <laughs> I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our X-Files Adjacent episodes are where we cover television films that are X-Files Adjacent. If you like what we're doing and don't want to kill your family, you should tell people about it. And then they can be here because they're not dead because you didn't kill them. And we can all watch it. (laughs) Yay. That's a bit of a reach. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time. And together, we'll try to figure out if If the the truth truth is is still out there. there.
Bible Corner with Nick. Is Tori gone? Did I lose Tori? I think I lost Tori. There's Tori. Hello. I hear Tori. Okay, good. Yeah. Did I like lose you though? Yeah. Or... Yeah. My microphone cut out again. I don't know why it keeps oh, okay. doing that. Because you were so super weird. quiet, so I was like, I'm just going to keep I didn't going. realize you couldn't hear me. I just was like, well, I wasn't really saying anything because I was waiting for you to get through it. I wasn't, you know, yeah. I was trying not to interrupt you. Well, because yeah. I stopped at the credits and I thought you were going to say something and you didn't. So I was like, okay, just go. So. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's, yeah. I don't know. It cut out. Okay. Keeps doing it. Might have to get me a snowball. Might have to get you a snowball. I mean, you said you wanted a snowball. You haven't had a snowball for a while. Yeah, but I meant the the different snowball, <laughs> coconut covered snack there are cake. Three kinds of snowballs we could have been talking about. Oh my god! 